Hey, drinking buddies. I'm going to be at Sushi Nozomi in Torrance this Friday, August 14th from 3 to 4 p.m. for their pop-up event. You can grab pastries from Okayama Kobo Bakery, noodles from Sujita LA and Killer Noodle Sujita, and Nayusenbe from us, drinking buddy. It's pre-order only, so head to at nozomi underscore restaurant, that's N-O-Z-O-M-I, on Instagram and order now. Here, I think people don't have a super rigid, stereotyped idea of what sake should be. This is The Drinking Buddy Show, where we explore food, craft beverage pairings, and the entrepreneurs and tastemakers behind them. I'm Frank, founder of Drinking Buddy Artisan Snacks, and on today's show, I'll be chatting with Yoshihiro and Lani Sako from Den Sake Brewery in Oakland. We'll learn about their award-winning locally produced sake made from California rice, Oakland water, and Yoshi's own koji. Yoshihiro Sako and his wife Lani are the dynamic duo behind one of the few craft sakes made entirely in the United States. They share how Den Sake came to be, what it's all about, and where they hope to be down the road. I came to the United States about 20 years ago, 2000. And I was just mostly playing music back then. And I got the opportunity to be a manager at the small sake and wine shop in San Francisco. So I took the job. And from that, my interest toward the wine and the sake kept developing. I was studying wine in the beginning. Then I realized this is very enjoyable for me to explain about sake to the American people, I found more enjoyment into like a sake world. So I kind of started to study more about sake and started to visit sake breweries in Japan. Every time I went back to Japan, I visited a couple of sake breweries there. When I came back, I started to teach sake class to the public. And part of that, I did an apprenticeship at the uh, sake brewery in my hometown, which is Kanagawa Prefecture. It's a small sake brewery called Kubota Shuzo. They make sake called Sagaminada. It's different from the famous Kubota in Niigata. And I did an apprenticeship for one month. Then I started to get interested in brewing pot because I was always thinking how I can gain my knowledge and also how I can improve my sake crossing. I was thinking I should just brew, should make sake, then probably it's going to make more easy to explain about sake culture. So that's the main motivation I had. I was still in the restaurant industry. After that manager job, I left the place and I went to work as a sake director sommelier at the place called Yuzuki Japanese Italy in San Francisco. I worked there as a sake director for five years and I was getting a little bit tired of being in front of customers all the time, more outgoing, more socializing. It was very fun, but I could get him worn out. So I started to think, okay, Maybe I should go something a little bit less social, more introverted field. And sake making was perfect direction for me to go somewhere else. I started to do a test brewing at my friend's backyard in the Bay Area. And I invited master brewer and the owner of the Shiokawa Brewery. They make a sake called Cowboy Yamahai from Niigata. So I got connected with him through my common friends. I invited him to come to a Bay Area and to stay with me for two weeks, I think. And he stayed with me. We brewed together using rice from Sacramento, the Ruan Forsman Ranch. 
It was a great experiment for me because it required a lot of adjustment to brew sake in the United States. It's very different conditions. The weather and the water condition and the rice condition, everything is so different. So you know, we needed a huge adjustment to make a good sake using those ingredients from here. So it was great that Shiokawa-san came and stayed with me in the brew together because he knows a lot. And he went to brew sake all over the world, Indonesia, China, and a lot of different countries to brew sake. So he has the ability to adjust the environment. So it was great for me to understand what's different here in Japan. So I could use some special skills to adjust those differences or bridge a gap between the differences. So that's 2015. Then I found a place in Auckland and we launched Dan Sake Brewery in 2017. But the first batch wasn't sold until 2018. Right. Because he was still doing some test brewing. Now, we just finished batch 11. That was Lonnie Sako, Yoshi's wife. She shares her background and her role in operating Den Sake. So I come from a completely different background. I majored in French literature, which not so useful, but I wanted to be a teacher. So after college, I got my teaching credential and I looked for a job to teach French high school. I couldn't find one, so I ended up going to Japan, being half Japanese. I had a lot of family there. I thought, I'll just teach English for a year. And I stayed a little longer than a year. And during my second year, I started working at a company that sent me to different job sites to teach their employees English. So one of the companies was the current company I work for now. It's called Creative Technology. It's in the semiconductor industry. So I worked for my Tatsumi-san, my boss now, for three years in Japan, and then we expanded our U.S. market, and I was ready to go back to the States. So I came home, and I established the U.S. subsidiary, and been doing that the past 20 years. But I've always had an interest in food and wine and going out to eat and, you know, being in the Bay Area. There's so much of it. I met Yoshi. Actually, I was a customer at the restaurant he worked at, Yuzuki, and he thought it was interesting that I spoke Japanese fluently, and we just started up a relationship, I guess. And then when this whole idea of opening the brewery came about, he's obviously the artisan. He's the shokunin, and I'm more of a business mind since I had experience with my current job. So it kind of made sense that I would be do the accounting, the bookkeeping, marketing, customer relations. So I'm the inside, and he's the face of the business. Yoshi talks about the difference between breweries in Japan and the U.S. In Japan, first of all, the rice condition is different. Moreover, I'm using rice not for sake making. Many sake brewers use the rice, especially made for sake making. It's a bigger and center, the starch component is bigger too. And it's a bit softer, so it dissolves in the mash better. That means more flavor comes out usually. But the eating rice, it becomes much harder, especially after steaming has happened. So it's different using the eating rice. But rice, generally, it's harder here. So it doesn't really dissolve in the mush. So sake becomes less flavorful. And of course, water quality is different. But I was really interested in bringing out this Auckland terroir. I don't want to use the word terroir, but it's more local, regional characteristics. I was not really afraid of the water quality difference, but rice, that's the biggest difference because how they farm the rice is very different between Japan and here. 
it's hard to make something very far out from the mainstream. Actually, a lot of new sake brewers, the younger generation, they actually making a lot of revolutionary sake, very different from old school sake. I really have a huge respect toward them. Here, I think people don't have a super rigid stereotyped idea of what sake should be. So I feel like here in the United States, we can do something more eccentric or something more new style. People naturally accept that more than Japan. And also license-wise, it's very, very hard to get the brewing license in Japan. It's almost impossible now. The Japanese government really doesn't issue the new license to the uh, people who want to start the sake brewery. Here, it's super easy. You can start with more easygoing mind. You can experiment more. You don't have to think about all those tradition and all those concepts or stereotyped idea of what sake should be. You know, it's more open-minded here. Yeah, I can tell when Japanese people from Japan drink his sake, they think this isn't sake because they have this preconceived idea of what Japanese sake should be and his is a little different. When we return, Yoshi and Lonnie share how Den Sake ended up in the O2 Artisans Aggregate in Oakland. If you enjoy the show, consider subscribing and leaving us a review. And if you'd like to support us, be sure to try our one-of-a-kind Japanese artisanal snacks. Grab some merch and enjoy free shipping. Go to www.thedrinkingbuddyshop.com and click on shop for details. So, yeah, landlord or owner of the O2 AA his name is Paul Disco. He's kind of famous designer, architect. He used to live in Japan and he learned Japanese joinery. So they built the building without nail, right? So he's one of the pioneer as American person to achieve that thing. So he's a landlord and he also owns a couple of restaurants in Bay Area. One is called the Ippuku. It's a yakitori place in Berkeley. So through that restaurant industry thing, somehow I knew him. We are looking for some place in East Bay because it's a little bit more affordable. Then I made an appointment to talk with him. And back then, he was interested in having sake breweries in his property. But back then, there was no availability. So we started to look for other places. And just like three months, four months passed. Then I got the message from him okay, one building is available now, then we jumped in. Also, those ecological part and the sustainability, I like that idea as well. And the sake brewing should be sustainable because for the sake leaves after pressing, that's also useful for cooking or other thing. And actually, my other company make sake kasu soap. And a lot of cosmetic companies use sake kasu. So it's very sustainable. So, you know, I thought it was a good fit. And they have a big garden in the middle with flowers, and they use the sake kasu for compost as well. And they grow vegetables there. And there's also a soba restaurant on the same property that Paul also owns. They grow all the vegetables there for the restaurant. It's a really neat little community of artisans and his equipment. There's a woodworker and a metal worker on site, so they helped him with the press machine. And it's this great community feel where everybody helps each other out. Yoshi talks about using unfiltered Oakland water. The reason why I don't use any filtration for the water is that the water is clean enough and the water is good enough. I analyzed the water before a few times. There's no component in the water that... That uh, would give it a bad flavor. Right, exactly. 
that's all about minerality and and iron is really bad and also manganese is really bad but it's under the sake brewing association's regulation level so i thought it would be good to use supernatural straight from the tap water so filtration sometimes causes some problem too you know some bacteria occurs inside too yoshi shares how he ended up sourcing locally grown rice so I met him through my friend. Actually, my friend knows a couple of restaurant owners in Sacramento. They use the Ruan Forsman Ranch rice for their sushi festival. It tastes great. Good sake rice doesn't have to be good tasting rice, but I just feel like good tasting rice is important for me. Then I visited that farm, Ruan Forsman Ranch, with the owner, Michael Bosworth. I visited a couple of times and it was great size. It's not too small, but not too big. And also their sustainability was very attractive for me. He's very interesting. He's an owner, but he goes to the restaurant directory and he brings rice. He delivers rice by himself sometimes. He trying to be connected with those customers. I like that attitude as well. Also, it's very rare for the sake world. Our sake has the farmer's name on the front. We want the Forsman Ranch. That's because I wanted to bring out the characteristic of the ingredients, not technique, more ingredients characteristic. If I want to specify which lot of the farm that rice comes from, I can do that. So they can track everything, which lot, which block that rice comes from. So if I want, I can specify those smaller size of the block on the front label as well. So I thought it would be interesting, new to the sake world. It's more like a terroir-driven concept. Yoshi always says winemaking is 80% ingredients and 20% technique. And sake is the opposite. It's 80% technique and 20% ingredients. But he sort of wanted to highlight more the local ingredients. Right. Yoshi explains the challenges of preparing his own koji. We have probably the world's smallest koji room, and it's all handmade, very narrow. All the tools inside the koji room and everything, walls, it's all handmade. I think as long as you can maintain the ideal temperature and humidity inside, there's no problem. It's just one thing, rice is a little bit harder compared to rice in Japan. So that's where I should consider how to let koji fungus spore grow deeper into the rice grain. Because if it's hard, koji spore is hard to reach the core of the rice grain. So I'm concerned about when I make koji. I think that's a different style a little bit different technique that I use from most of the sake brewers in Japan and here. But you know the behavior of the rice better now. Now, yes. But in the beginning, yeah, I struggled a lot. He would put a yoga mat outside of the koji room door and just sleep for 20 minutes and then get up and check the temperature and massage it and (laughs) arrange it. And then he pretty much spent all night when he was doing the koji. Now it's a little more digitalized. He can see the temperature from his iPhone. And if it gets too hot, then he can just run down to the brewery. 
I think in Japan, they normally do that though, right? Somebody's up all night to care for it. Yeah, it's depend. But Kubota Shizo that I did apprenticeship, actually the person who is in charge of coach making, he actually sleeps in a coach room yeah. during it's the like coach a, making. It's like a baby. Yeah. I mean, if your koji is ruined, then the sake is ruined, right? And it's so finicky, the temperatures and there's a rigid range of it has mm. to be between these temperatures at this hour. I think that generally koji making is not so hard, but if you know specifically what kind of sake you want, then you have to make an effort. You can make the koji easily if you don't care what kind of flavor, I think. If you need just the sugar for the fermentation, then it shouldn't be that hard. Yoshi shares why Den Sake isn't labeled as a Junmai. When I visited one sake brewery in Niigata, it's called Watanabe Shuzo. They produce sake called Nechi or Tokoyama. Their philosophy is very interesting. It's more like terroir driven. And when I was talking to the owner of that sake brewery, Watanabe-san, I could really connect with him. And I was thinking it's kind of the same thing. What we talked about is, as Lani explained a little bit, sake making is more like a technique. It's not about ingredients. That technique reflects the flavor as a final product. So that's why the Japanese sake breweries, they didn't really emphasize on what ingredients is used or what water is used till this century. Younger generation brewers in Japan, they actually started to be more terroir driven. When I talked with Watanabe-san, these days, a lot of new yeast strain developed. And some yeast produce this kind of aroma, and some yeast produce this melon, or this yeast produce a lot more aroma than the normal yeast. Before, for example, if the label says Junmai, you can kind of expect this sake is not that aromatic. It's more ricey, more heavy on the flavor, high acidity. And if you see the word ginjo or daiginjo, you can kind of expect, okay, this sake is probably a little more aromatic, a little fruitier. Because of the higher rice polishing, that determines which category this sake falls into, right? So higher rice polishing usually brings out more aromatic character. So lower rice polishing means if you don't polish much out of part of the rice grain, usually aroma doesn't come out much. So if you see the word ginjo or daiginjo, usually ginjo or daiginjo, they use highly polished rice, usually more aromatic. Those categories are usually classified by a rice polishing ratio. But as I said earlier, a lot of new yeast strain comes out. Even if you use low polished rice grain, the sake becomes more aromatic too. So those category means vague these days. I was thinking, Okay, some people can make Junmai, but super aromatic. It's like a Ginjo style sake. These categories are meaningless. A lot of people tend to say, okay, I like Ginjo. I like Daiginjo. Daiginjo is a great sake. Daiginjo is the best sake. Yes, if you see what kind of effort they put into making Daiginjo, of course, they put a lot of effort, much more than making Junmai most of the time. But it doesn't mean that Ginjo or Ginjo is always good. It's depending on what food you're eating and what kind of mood are you in too. So it's very hard to say, okay, Dai Ginjo is always best. Sometimes Jumai is better. And for me, Jumai was always the go-to style sake. It's more ricey and less aromatic. It doesn't interfere with the food. I didn't want Jumai to be less quality than Ginjo or Dai Ginjo. And my sake is Jumai and, you know, trying to bring out the characteristics of rice. That's why I don't want to polish more 
but I put a lot of care making sake, so I didn't want to label it something to confuse people. Lani and Yoshi talk about acidity and some of their favorite pairings. So Lani cooks great food, and Lani's cooking style is kind of like a mix of Japanese food and more Californian cuisine or more Frenchy stuff as well. A lot of meat. And every time I eat that, I definitely need more acidity to cut through fat or protein. That's the main reason. To pair well with the food that I normally eat. Dan has high acidity and also Dan is it's very fresh. We make small production. So normally sake is still fresh. We sell out everything. So people drink super fresh Dan. So freshness, my sake has a little green, unripe melon, herbal, green vegetable kind of feel. And with acidity, I would say a meat with, for example, chimichurri sauce or guramurata. Something that has an herbal component and a citrus. And the stress component and also more protein rich or sometimes a bit fatty as well. Honestly, I feel like den goes with almost everything we eat every night. We've had it obviously with Japanese food, shogayaki, which I've made pesto pasta. It yeah, went really good. well with that. Yeah, I guess the most surprising was the pork chops with the gremolata sauce because that just seems so, such a wine dish, you know, but it really paired well with that. So it seems like a meat with an herby citrusy right. sauce is a really good combination. Each batch is kind of slightly different because I tried slightly different technique or slightly different ratio of koji rice plus a steamed rice or whatever, the small, small adjustment. Batch 10 that you have, I tried to make batch 10 more close to a sake from Japan. So compared to other batches, batch 10 is more round and mellow. So batch 10 will go with a lot of Japanese food, which is a little bit more quiet, more rounder, more umami-oriented. I lived in Japan as well, and my mom's side of the family is Japanese, so I was exposed to Nihonshu or sake a lot, but I didn't know much about it. And I never would have thought of pairing it with cheese or Western dishes at all. I was always just wine. And Yoshi's really opened my eyes up to how versatile sake can be. Not just Japanese, not just Asian food, but really so many different foods. Yoshi and Lonnie share their plans for the future. I have to explore more into beer world to target the beer drinker, you know, to convert the beer drinkers to sake. Traditionally, wine is more meant to be with food, and the sake was too. And the beer with food, of course, it works, but it's not really... It's different uh, concept of pairing. And the sake also does a different kind of concept. Because of the alcohol content, it's kind of similar. And the weight of the uh, beverage was similar. So that's why it was a little bit easier to target the wine drinkers than uh, other beverage drinkers. We were planning on expanding our place before COVID-19 because everything is kind of unpredictable. We decided to stay in this production scale for a little while. For now, we are okay. Just two people and a couple other volunteer people. That's good enough. But definitely, after we go into the expansion project, then we will need more people. He's not getting any younger. Right, exactly. (laughs) It's a really physical job. Especially we started as a low-budget sake brewery operation. So, you know, it's more analog and a lot of muscle power is required. 
we're planning on just expanding production scale and also having a tasting room. So also expanding our portfolio. Yeah. Now we just offer the one type. Right. Pasteurized and unpasteurized. Okay. But obviously to have a tasting room, we need a few more styles of sake. Actually, I made a new product line. It was a test batch. It hasn't released yet, but it's coming out soon. It's white koji. That's a koji for shoji making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that produces a lot higher citric acid, higher acidity than original dam. So I hope it's more appealing to white wine drinkers. I love that acidity very much with the food that I eat. But my ultimate goal is I want all the people who drink wine normally to buy sake and bring it to their dinner table. They don't have to make Japanese food. They drink my sake with the food that they normally make. That's my ultimate goal. Thanks to Yoshi and Lani Sako. You can learn more about Den Sake by visiting www.densakebrewery.com and following them on Facebook and Instagram at Den Sake Brewery. Coming up on The Drinking Buddy Show, I'll be doing something special for episode 15. I can't wait to share the story of Nom Craft Brewing, a craft beer brewery revitalizing a rural town in Wakayama, Japan. Thanks for listening to The Drinking Buddy Show. Be sure to subscribe and share it with your buddies. Hey, Drinking Buddies, I'm going to be at Sushi Nozomi in Torrance this Friday, August 14th from 3 to 4 p.m. for their pop-up event. You can grab pastries from Okayama Kobo Bakery, noodles from Sujita LA and Killer Noodle Sujita, and Ryu Senbei from us, Drinking Buddy. It's pre-order only, so head to Nozomi Restaurant on Instagram and order now. Check out our latest artisanal snack offerings at www.thedrinkingbuddyshop.com and connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Take care and drink well.